Welcome to the Mental Health Boot Camp Podcast. This is the podcast where four psychotherapists, three of us Canadian, one American, serve you cutting-edge mental health knowledge. I am Dr. Ryan House of Pasadena, California. And I am Dr. Brooke Lewis from Vancouver, Canada. I'm Joanna Boyd, a therapist from Vancouver, Canada as well. I'm Chris Boyd from Vancouver, Canada, and Joanna's uh, brother. Hooray. 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 Welcome, everybody. Those intros stump me sometimes. I'm like, what do I say? What do I call myself? I feel like we've tried all the different things. Anyways. <laughs> it gets confusing sometimes, doesn't it? I just don't know what term to use sometimes. Anyways, we're good. It'll just switch it up for our viewers or listeners. Sometime we could talk about that, right? We could talk about the difference between a therapist, a counselor, uh, all the different degrees that people have, psychologists, psychiatrists. There's a lot to talk about there. Yes. So much to talk about that sometimes we don't even know what our title is, right? That might be an ambush question. That might be. Just However, differentiate I the titles. Joanna's like, thank you. Add it to the list. Well, I have the list going, so we're good. Oh, that's good. Uh, so big week in the world. The American election is over. Uh, we each had our versions of Veterans Day, or you guys call it Remembrance Day. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I've learned that is a bigger, bigger celebration. You guys have a big, big celebration up there. Ours is not quite as, quite as large. Or maybe not celebration, but yeah, honoring. I don't know what I would call that. Um, yeah, not Commem- celebra- homage. Yes, yeah. yeah. Commemoration, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, that would be, maybe be a more appropriate word. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Sure. Well, glad that all went well. Um, so kind of on a, on a somber note here, I, uh, need to bring something up or I wanted to bring something up. This, this may not be relevant to all all the listeners out there. You might not know who I'm talking about here, but I found out today that, uh, that one of my bosses died. Um, and, and this is a, a man who was, um, pretty significant in, the lives of the four of us, because it's really because of him, the four of us met one another. His name is Rich Simon, and he is the editor, one of the co-founders of a magazine called the Psychotherapy Networker. And uh, he started that magazine some 40 some years ago um, in Washington, DC. And then every year they've done this, uh, this, this meeting, this conference called the, the Networker Symposium that brings together some of the, the biggest names and the, the, the most uh, you know, incredible speakers. And uh, it's just a very, it's a large event that's you know, attended by thousands of people. And basically, if, if you've ever read a self-help book of any sort or a psychology book, there's probably a, a chance that that person has at one time spoken at this conference, mm-hmm. symposium. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rich was, I mean, he, not only just having, having established something like this, this magazine and the symposium, but he was just a larger than life character. Uh, anyone had ever been to the symposium before would see that he, you know, he is so eloquent and would give these amazing introductions to people that would usually just blow their socks off before they come up on stage. He's talking about things in their life that, uh, you know, they were amazed to even hear, but he would also, he was 
hilarious too. He would also do like a song and dance to open up every symposium. I mean, like a literally choreographed song and dance. And he's not a great dancer or singer, but he would put himself out there and do it. He would give it his all. Yeah. Give it his all. Um, 10 years ago, Rich gave me the opportunity to, uh, to write for the magazine, uh, doing an interview column. And I was thrilled to be able to do that. And then I, I didn't know that as, as like my, my only, my perk for the magazine at that point was I got to go to the symposium. Uh, they would fly me out there and I got to go and, and hang out and see all these, these big names in the field. And it was the first night of my first symposium that I met the three of you. Well, two of you, I met Joe the next year. Um, but I met you guys and we were up late because we were on West Coast time and we hit it off and because of that, Gosh, here we are today. Um, Rich was was a, a, an incredible writer himself and an incredible editor. He edited my work for many years and he made me work for it, <laughs> really made me work for it. Um, there were so many rewrites. There were, there were several times when I was working for him that he would uh, actually have me call back the person that I interviewed and like re-interview them and ask some different questions because <laughs> wow. he wanted, he wanted something different for me. And so some of the time it took a lot of work and there was, he was a tough, a tough one to please, but I tell you, he also had a heart of gold. Um, every time a magazine would come out, they, they would send me, they send me like a, a copy, you know, uh, I guess all the staff gets their own copy and Rich would, would take the time for each magazine for 10 years he would take the time to write a note to me, a personal note to me, kind of thanking me for the, uh, the contribution. And, and I was just looking around tonight and here's, here's the latest one. If you can see it, uh, if you're on YouTube, yeah. it just says, dear Ryan, I mean, it's just little notes of encouragement. Dear Ryan, you just keep rolling along, but aging gracefully as you do. <laughs> right. Nice. Sometimes it'd be something like that. Sometimes it'd be something more specific to the, to the actual piece. Uh, or the person I interviewed, but it was just always warmth and and kindness. So I guess I just need to say, uh, rest in peace, Rich Simon. You will be definitely missed, and uh, missed by me, missed by by all who've had uh, contact with the networker. For sure. Yeah, no, no, a huge force within the field, and I think most of our listeners have been impacted by Rich and probably don't even know it because of uh, the work he's done in the field. I had a client who had some great words today. He said, I aspire because you inspire. I think it's very relevant to mm. the loss of Rich Simon there as well. Um, mm. When you see that guy speak, and my goodness, you get pretty fired up about yes. where the psychology is going. And um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely. And if, and if you know... If you know some of the famous folks out there, like, like, uh, like Dan, he and Dan Siegel are great friends, and Rich has done a lot to help promote Dan Siegel's work. Um, uh, Sue Johnson, there's just so many of the people who are kind of big names in the field right now. It's kind of Rich, kind of the wind beneath their wings in a lot of ways. Mm. Esther Perel, Rich, Rich, really strongly encouraged Esther Perel to write an article for the magazine. And then after that was successfully encouraged her to write a book about it, uh, dating in captivity or sex. What is it? Dating captivity. There was that, that book, which now launched her career. And Esther Perel is, is basically a household name. So Rich is really kind of the, the guy behind the scenes who really makes a lot of this profession go. 
So I'll I'll stop gushing here on Rich, but but he will be missed. Brooke, did you have any thoughts on him? Yes, Ryan. So yeah, uh, Ryan had shared the news with us earlier today that Rich had passed away. Um, I didn't know Rich as well, not nearly as well as Ryan, uh, but in my experience, I, I think he played a, an incredible role in the shaping of our profession in the current day, just by bringing together the minds of others, the great minds, um, to provide these opportunities to grow, uh, but more importantly, to provide a sense of community for therapists, counselors, psychologist where we can come together because our work is so isolating. It's just us in a room with a client and, but being able to generate a sense of connection and community at these symposiums mm -hmm. or even through the networker by reading the magazines and the stories told. And I think that was incredible of him to be a catalyst for that. Um, so I think he, he really influenced our field in a great, great way. Well said, Brooke. Thank you. Yeah. It was a very special thing to go to those symposiums, especially as a starting out therapist. And I know I'm seven years in now to working, but I'm just saying like there's something electric about being kind of around that many people and the, the professionals in our field. And, and Rich definitely had his, uh, yeah, it was the Rich Simon show, like as we say, like it's very much, and that's a compliment. Um, so it was a pretty special. So definitely thankful for what he did because like you noted, Ryan, like we all got to know each other because of that. So, yeah. Yeah. He was a wordsmith. My goodness. I've never heard anyone speak like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll put a link in the, uh, in the podcast to one of his talks. Uh, you guys will know what I'm talking about when, once you hear him speak, because he really had the gift of gab for sure. So, okay. Somber news aside, uh, should we just get going on the on the ambush, right? Sure. Let's ambush. Okay. So for those who may be first timers, the ambush is where one of us knows what the topic is, the other three do not. They have to just respond off the cuff. And uh, guess what? I'm the one who who drew the short straw this week. I'm the one with the ambush. Uh oh. I hope but, you don't steal my question for next week. I hope I don't also. But uh, let me say that this one comes, this one was a, a message that I received. So this is a, uh, a, a listener who asked this question. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's what, this is the ambush. I'm ambushing you with someone's question. Um, by the way, if you have a question for us, info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com or really look up any of us and you could probably find our email address. All right. <laughs> so here we go. Here's the ambush. It's kind of a little, little paragraph here. Here's the ambush. I've dealt with anxiety for a long time and just started seeing a therapist. The therapist suggested that we talk about times earlier in my life because I may be dealing with shame. First of all, I don't want to talk about my past, so do I have to? And second, what causes shame and how can I get rid of it? What an ambush, listener. Yes, yes. So, oh my gosh. Therapists suggest components. there are lots of components, so let me we'll break it down. 
basically, do you, is it, how important is it to talk about your past in therapy? Um, and then more particular to this idea of shame, what causes it and how can I get rid of it? So it's not about the anxiety. It could, this is just more past stuff, shame. Yeah, yeah, really. Okay. That's, okay. Yes. That's good. I think the therapist probably deduced somehow that the anxiety was shame related. So, but gotcha. more, it's just the question about why, why might it be important or is it important to talk about your past and uh, how do you deal with shame? You know, there's different schools of thought on that one for uh, do you need to talk about your past? Um, mm -hmm. I enjoy that line of work talking about the past. Joanna and I are both somewhat Adlerian. Um, and Ryan. De devotees of Alfred, Alfred Adler? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so to look back, I, for me as a therapist, I think looking back and understanding where it came from is good for awareness to look at the patterns of what's triggering the emotional responses now, mm -hmm. to have a general understanding of it and to uh, make like a cohesive narrative of it. Otherwise, when it comes up right now, it might not make sense. And when something doesn't make sense, I think it's scary. Mm -hmm. So to take the fear of the re emotional response away, it's kind of nice to know like, oh, I'm getting anxious for, for me. I'm actually really scared of dogs, even though I have two dogs. But for me, I know if I see a big dog that's really excited, or even a little dog that's really excited, I get anxious. So instead of being confused and scared about that emotional response, I'm like, of course I'm getting anxious right now. Because when I was younger, I thought I was going to be attacked by a dog. So that imprinted a fearful event, and I can make sense of it now, opposed to then interpreting my current response as like, um, in a judgmental way, like what's wrong with me that I'm feeling this right now. I shouldn't feel this way right now. This doesn't make sense. So I think exploring one's past can add awareness and uh, help with the narrative to take away judgment in the moment. But I think other schools of thought say, no, you don't need to. Let's just look at what you're experiencing now. Let's not get caught up in that. And let's take what we have and work on reducing those symptoms the best that we can without actually having to dwell in it. Because revisiting the past can also be uh, re-traumatizing mm -hmm. if you're not ready to go there. So I, I personally always respect if my clients don't want to go somewhere. If they don't want to talk about it, we're not going to talk about it. Yeah. No, no, I, <clears throat> I fully agree. And within my clinical work as well, we often delve into the past. Um, from a neurological perspective, there's some key times during development where we're very susceptible to what's going on around us. And, uh, and oftentimes we're not even aware of that. And, uh, and those reactions, those automatic thoughts or emotions or sensations become automatic. Um, so I think it, it helps to, um, to develop a bit of a context in regard to why it is you act the way that you do. Because in the presence of fear, we often develop defense mechanisms to help deal with it. And, uh, and, the, and again, it's, it's so automatic, so implicit that when it's brought to your attention and, and when you can process um, maybe some of those early challenges, you're kind of freed from it uh, in the present. Okay. Okay. So, 
So you would be in favor of that. And what are, what are your thoughts on the, on the other schools of thought though, that say, look, just deal with the here and now and uh, kind of don't, you don't need to spend much time dwelling on the past. I think, um, I think there's a time and a place to, to handle what's going on in the present moment, um, you know, to, in terms of emotional regulation and help you cope with everyday challenges. And often that needs to happen before the deeper work can take place. Um, so you can deal with the symptoms in the present, but if you really want to address what's, what's going on there, um, then I think it's, it is really important and critical to go into the past. And it's the nurture piece. We talked about that was the last time, the nature and nurture. Um, yeah, the nurture, the, our environment shapes us, right? Yeah, the relationships and everything. It'd almost be like, I'd liken it to, you're starting with a client, if you just kind of go from present moment forward, you're kind of starting a book midway through. Like, you don't know kind of what happened earlier in the book that kind of may have contributed to where the plot line is or the character development. And I think going back there um, in a way that works for the client and isn't flooding, like um, in a way that they're comfortable with, they can gain some understanding of how they've, the patterns and how they've developed or where they're at in their life now. Um, and then you're able to kind of move forward. But some clients mm -hmm. have a resistance to it. They come in and they're like, I've gone in the past with other therapists or I don't like it. And I don't, you know, there could be a lot of discomfort there because there are a lot of hard things mm -hmm. to go through, but um, we kind of work with that as we can, but. Well, and, I, and that, I find that that is actually a signal that there is something there that's, that's probably needing to be worked on because, yeah. you know, there's, if it's, mm -hmm. as long as it's painful, that means that there's something still raw and exposed yeah. there. And, um, and really some of the work of, of therapies to help someone form a story that doesn't feel scary to them. Maybe, you know, maybe there was trauma in their background, but they can start to view themselves as someone who was victorious and who endured and resilient and all of that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, if they're still reacting, responding to that, those old traumas in the same, as if it's happening right now, then yeah, there's probably some work to be done there. Mm -hmm. But, but here's what I would ask then just to, to tie this one up. If you had a client who said what Joe said, you know, I, I really just don't want to go there. Uh, you know, we all gave some good reasons why it is important, but is there, is there a way that you might be able to help a client go there? Uh, you know, maybe a more of a, 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 a technique or a, a something that might make, make it a little easier to talk about the past. Um, that's a good question. So sometimes to encourage them, I put it like this whole thing in because I love metaphors. So I use the tree metaphor where we can either trim the tree or we can take it out by the root. And if we're going to deal with stuff like I can teach you skills to help manage the emotions, um, but that's trimming the tree. If we want to get rid of the tree, we have to take it out by the root, but you got to let me know when you're ready for that. Mm. And I'll be with you to go through that. And sometimes that just helps them, puts it more in their control. And when it's in their control, then sometimes they're more open to that. They're kind of prepped for it. Um, for Adlerian therapy, sometimes we do early childhood experiences. And so like early recollections, I should say, early recollections. And so when we do those, um, it's a gentle way to go back into the past. And it's not always negative. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously there's things in your past 
that are positive as well. So we might focus on if there's something going on in the current moment and we talk about, well, when was your first memory that you felt that way? And it's more of a dialogue and it's more of storytelling and it might be a positive. Like maybe you feel really accomplished for something you did and that's a way for the therapist to get to know your life story a bit better. To say, when was the first time you remember feeling that way? And how old were you? And what was the context behind that? And um, how from that, how did that shift your perspective of yourself, um, other people around you and your relation to the world in general? So we start to understand how the person views their own internal beliefs, how we view ourselves in relation to other people, so community and how we relate to the world and we, we get to know people that way. So that's a way, there's also EMDR, maybe so I don't talk the whole time, you guys yeah. can describe EMDR. Yeah, I was gonna mention EMDR too. Um, adult attachment interview is a great line of questioning. I think Ryan mentioned it a couple, a few podcasts ago. Um, I also ask uh, maybe a, a generic list of negative self-beliefs and often and get clients to rate that. And then that could be a kind of a window to delve into it more deeply and see if there's any earlier experiences that may have led to that uh, critical belief of themselves. Um, but EMDR is, is a great therapeutic tool. And I think um, the three of us, I don't know if you've been trained in it, Ryan, but um, I went through a, a level one training, but Oh, you did. So we all, yeah. we all have been. Yeah. So it, Long time ago. quite a bit different from talk therapy and uh, it's a kind of interesting way to process some sensations and feelings in the body. Cause we see that quite a bit is some clients, sometimes clients go, well, I've talked about the past and, and I know it's not logical, but it still feels, I still feel the shame. I still feel the anxiety. I still feel the sadness. Right. So EMDR is often a great tool for that where you can sort out those. EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprogramming or reprocessing 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 yeah so developed by francine shapiro um yeah she kind of yeah. she's walking on a trail one day realized she decided to move her eyes back and forth and notice a bit of shift. she noticed she realized she was doing it naturally didn't she and then she i think so like walking on a trail though and then she decided to actually intentionally yeah yeah so they thought it was uh, mimicked REM sleep and maybe that was leading to some beneficial elements or outcomes. And then uh, um, they realize it's these back and forth, these bilateral movements um, that help the brain and nervous system process um, trauma and, and distress. So it's uh, kind of a structured approach and again, very different from talk therapy, but has worked very well with the range of clients for looking into the past. Mm -hmm. Just a quick, quick, quick uh, little story, not really even a story, about EMDR. We had a case consult with our team earlier this week, and so it is eye movement desensitization, but it's really about bilateral, so either side of your body being stimulated. And so eye movements always, aren't always necessary. So we have a, um, a colleague there who's visually impaired, she's blind, mm. and she went through an experience and, and went to EMDR. So she was saying she was confused how that was going to work because she's blind. Uh, but they did use bilateral stimulation. She, she found it very helpful anyway. So just nice. a quick plug that it's not hmm. always eye movement for those who are thinking I have eye strain or sure I'm visually impaired or it's still yeah. helpful. I've had I've, I've seen people where you know wearing headphones and there's a beep in either beep. side yeah. and then people will hold on to uh, a little 
buzzers and there's a buzz on either side. Or tapping I, on the knees back and forth. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I've got to say, just to be to give equal time, that there's a little bit of controversy as to whether or not it's uh, whether or not it's it's truly effective because of what it's purports to be. Um, there's some folks who say, yeah, well, what you're doing is you're just, you're thinking of a trauma while you're distracting yourself at the same time. So you're not feeling the same impact. Um, and the eye movement may be just sort of, uh, maybe it's, it's, it's not so much the eye movement as it's just having something else to kind of focus on. Whatever it is, research has shown that it's been effective for many people, not for all people. And, uh, and it's just another, another one of the tools in the tool bag. So I think there's a lot of, what I got what we're saying here is there is some value to looking at the past. There are many different ways to go about it. Um, I've also known of people to, to like maybe writing down some stories from the past is a little less threatening than mm -hmm. uh, speaking about them. Um, some people have even chosen to, to talk about it in third person. Like yeah. I do this person who experienced mm -hmm. this in their past. And so that feels a little less threatening as well. Um, so there, there are different ways that people can kind of go there. There's also, yeah, whether writing about it or you can write letters to your past self if there are certain mm -hmm. things that you think that individual would have needed or um, there could be some healing done through that. Um, even helping a client if they're not wanting to go there, but you want to kind of, you know, help them. But it could just be addressing emotional regulations, emotion regulation stuff in the moment or helping them create a calm place or um, help them identify certain feelings or teach them about the trauma response that might be going on for them in their body so that when past stuff does come up and they're uh, triggered, I guess, um, teach them about what's going on so it's less scary and maybe mm -hmm. there might be less resistance there. So yeah. education, yeah. body focused, things like that. Mm -hmm. Joanna, have well, you done like, um, like visuals? Like haven't you done where you do like a timeline? And uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I've done that where in getting to know someone, yeah, just have a timeline of their lives and they're encouraged to put some, the peaks and valleys. So some like things they can think of as momentous events or um, memories that might pop out, whether really positive ones and also encouraged to put some negative ones or really like some struggles. And so it's noted up front. You're just writing it down. We don't need to go into detail about it, but we're just identifying kind of these moments and then we can gradually go through them or see what the client wants to talk about um, about each one but you kind of get mm -hmm. some idea there and even their own awareness of it or what they might deem something because you might have some knowledge about what they came in about and um, just kind of a mutual understanding of their lives I guess they're learning more yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so I do like Joanna you mentioned you know more body oriented and that's a piece of it as well, depending on your therapist, whether they want all the puzzle pieces or if they just want to know your, your body sensations because our emotion is in our body. Um, so to recall a memory, sometimes I feel like clients don't have to tell me their memory. They can recall it themselves and they just have to describe the physical sensation and let's work with that. Mm. And let's try and shift that physiological response that's connected to that memory. Um, if you don't want to tell me what that is, then that's okay. I, I don't need the details. I just need to know how you're feeling. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if you guys have ever had this experience, but I, I've had it quite a bit where I'm talking with a client about something that they're 
they're experiencing now. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe they have a certain reaction to something. And they're not even sure what that's about. We do start talking about the past and, you know, what's your first memory of this or, or, you know, does this feeling remind you of something else in your life? That sort of question. And, and there's this, there can be this aha moment, right? This is like this suddenly this connection is made of like, Oh my gosh. Yes. I do remember I was, uh, I was bitten by a dog when I was a kid. That's why I started to develop this fear of dogs. And there's this, this sort of relief that kind of comes over their face. It's like, okay, I finally know what it is that I was, I was worried about or why, why this has been so painful for me for so many years. And that for me is it kind of captures the whole reason why we like to go back to the past because sometimes just knowing the origin of something makes, makes it all make much more sense. You know, mm -hmm. it, it makes it less, less scary as Brooke was saying before. Um, I, I, sometimes when I'm teaching about this in, in class, I use the analogy. What, there was a time when I woke up in the morning and uh, my leg was completely stiff and sore. And I, and I was like, Oh my gosh, what's, what's going on? I'm kind of freaking out. What, do I have, do I have thigh cancer? What's wrong with my, what's, you know, all the different scary things are going on. And my, and my wife told me, Oh no, you, you bumped it on the table before you got in bed. Like that's a Charlie <laughs> horse, you know? And as soon as, yeah. as soon as she's, as soon as that was like, Oh yeah, that's right. That's what it was. Yeah. It, like it just didn't, it didn't hurt anymore. I wasn't scared about it anymore. And for me, that's the reason why I feel like it's valuable to yeah. go back. Cause sometimes those things just, aren't as scary or they make more sense and feel a little more controllable, you know, gotcha. for sure. Not always necessary though. Like you're sometimes clients, um, don't need to go into the past as much. And we use a lot of solution focused approaches in psychology and a lot of cognitive behavioral approaches too. So really working with what's going on in the moment and coming up with a more of a future oriented plan. So yeah. I just want to get that point across too. It's always, we, we tend to focus on, what we feel is most beneficial for the client. And of course sure. the client uh, discusses their preferences as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, if someone says, I, I just got in a fight with my boss. The first thing I'm, I'm not going to jump right into, well, tell me about your childhood. You know, <laughs> we're going to talk about their boss, you know, we're going to talk about what's going on there. And maybe yeah. at some point it'd be like, Oh, who does your boss remind you of? Oh, my yeah. abusive uncle. Okay. Well, that's something. <laughs> But, but yeah. yes, we're, we're not just living in the past with this. We might, you know, yeah. we'll miss a lot if we just do that. Yeah. So shame. And we, can we even touch on shame? That's a big topic too. So. Shame is huge. Huge. So I like to start when talking about shame, I like to distinguish shame from guilt. I'm sure we all do this in one way or another, but. Uh, guilt is, is feeling bad about what you've done, about something that you've done that you feel, some behavior that you've conducted that uh, you feel bad about. Shame is about is feeling bad about who you are. And that's often a, an old message, speaking of childhood, an old message that we learned somehow that says, I'm bad. I'm made of bad stuff. My, the, the, my essence is bad. And, and kind of one way that people sort of summarize this sometimes is when you say to a kid, um, you know, that was, you did something that was the wrong, you made a mistake there. You did something wrong versus you're a bad boy, right? Or you're a bad girl. 
because that second message, you're, you are bad, can sink in pretty deep. And uh, that, can, that can really change your identity, how you view yourself. I like that. That's great. A great uh, way of describing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's shame too. I think it's like the fear of people learning about your, your defects, right? So your defects are those insecurities being exposed to others. Um, certainly the yeah. vulnerability piece too, right? As a result of that. Yeah. The, the, I have to say the mantra of shame is if anyone knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And cause if that's, if that's your belief, it's that where you're, if that's where you're starting from, then you've got to kind of create this whole persona that is different than the real you. Yeah. And, uh, in order for people to like you. Yeah. Then, I often feel that, um, like a, a shame, shame story a shame narrative is going to come out when i'm sure you guys get this uh, preface from clients too when they say i've never told anyone this before mm-hmm. and i'm like okay what like you kind of you know whatever it is whatever they're about to tell you there's like a deep rooted chances yeah. are a deep rooted shame feeling in there that they've just been that's been eating them alive that's then been contributing to their anxiety or self-destructive behaviors or emotional dysregulation and disconnection from others. And yeah, um, yeah. funny, funny oh. you say that Brooke, I just like to, whenever I, I've written about this, that before that very statement, I've never told anyone this before, but, and you know, at that moment as a therapist, you know, we're entering sacred territory here. This is, mm-hmm. yeah. this is to be treated with very, with, with, yeah. you know, with a lot of caution and with a lot of reverence, you know, that's a big Absolutely. deal. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so meaningful for them and mm-hmm. just to be able to shed whatever that is. And so important for us as therapists to remain non-judgmental, compassionate, supported, and empathetic to that, right? Like it's, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's interesting, Brooke. You mentioned the cluster of, of feelings and uh, emotions that accompany shame, right? But anxiety, like the definition I often use is the anticipation of harm and danger. So you think of how closely connected that is to shame that if, you know, just the fear that someone actually learns who you are or those, those insecurities or that you have, right? Well, I think with shame though, if somebody believes that uh, like when they're having that sense of shame, there's also a strong negative self-belief then that goes into, I am unworthy or unlovable. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there's all of a sudden, when that feeling comes up, it's like, I'm a monster. Nobody's going to love me. I am unworthy. And, and I have to protect myself from people knowing this about me. Otherwise I'm, I'm going to be uh, unloved. Mm-hmm. I feel I, it also, and it also comes up. I feel when almost a lack of um, this, I don't know if you'd agree with this. Um, let me know if you don't, but when clients have a hard time, almost, um, uh, they feel shame in the fact that they might be depressed and they feel like they don't, they shouldn't be because, you know, like you hear it a lot. Like I have all these different wonderful things in my life. I shouldn't be feeling this way. Or um, they just feel shame because they don't feel they, I don't know. I don't that know they're broken. I'm broken. Yeah. Like shame they just, is in, I'm, they, I shouldn't be this because everything's perfect. And yet I'm I'm not. I'm yeah, like something's damaged. wrong with me. Yeah, some damage or like other people have it worse. So why am I like this? And I feel bad. I'm not allowing myself. I'm not accepting the fact that I'm struggling. And I'm seeing it as 
yeah, something to be ashamed of or that it's, yeah, I don't know, something I need to hide from other people because they're going to, well, it goes along with the see me differently, but there seems to be a lack of acceptance there. Yeah. Or disgusting. Or that fear. A lot. Yeah. I'm disgusting mm-hmm. as a negative self-belief as attached to shame. You're not disgusting. Come on. Yeah. Talk Ryan, you haven't seen me uh, <laughs> not my best. Well, actually, you have seen me at not my best. <laughs> yes, you have. <laughs> I have, but... Uh, Should we go into the past? Yeah, <laughs> okay. the past. Remember the whiteboard? Yes, that's right. That's right. Well, look, <laughs> we've we've... Okay, so we have an, an, an idea of shame. And, and if anyone wants to read more about shame, I, I would recommend uh, the book Healing the Shame That Binds You, um, Bradshaw. Uh, that is a, it's, it's a big book. It spends about half the time talking about, and this might be shame too, and you might be feeling shame if you feel this. And so there's a lot of, a lot of what we're doing here, like this is where what shame looks like. But the second half of the book is about what can we do about it? Um, so we don't have a whole lot of time left. We're not going to get into all the exhaustive stuff, but if there were a, you know, a few bullet points you might share about how to start to address shame, maybe, um, whether in therapy or just in your life, do you have any thoughts on where, what direction someone might want to head? I think of, uh, Brene Brown also a huge name in the field. Oh, she yeah, has of a lot of great material on, um, on shame and vulnerability. Um, I hope that we've kind of normalized it a bit, that um, it's, I think it's very human of us to experience shame, and it's so important to talk about it, and um, maybe try to put the pieces together in terms of why that might be the case. Yeah, find someone either, you know, whether a counselor, a therapist, or just a trusted loved one where you can maybe have these conversations or share some of these things out loud and um, not be afraid of the judgment that you might get in return or just explore it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And also maybe identifying some of those negative cognitions that are kind of feeding into the shame and starting to challenge those. And you can do that with the help of a professional or start to kind of that self-reflection process yourself. Those are all so good. I was just going to say acceptance and compassion. Mm -hmm. It comes down to it. Radical acceptance and compassion. Acceptance of whatever that discretion was or that experience was that started generating the shame. And then some, like, probably a solid dose of self-compassion work to kind of soften that a bit and, and realize just because you feel shameful doesn't mean you are shame. Like, you are not disgusting. You are not a monster. It's you're just having a feeling, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I would agree with that. Yes, I think I like to say that that shame um, shame dies when you bring it into the light. A lot of times, um, when when you have something from your past that you feel is so so bad, or something about you you feel like is so bad. And you're able to actually find the courage and a safe place to talk about it and bring it out into the open. It, it, it really alters it in a lot, in a a lot of ways. When you get someone else to say, Oh, Oh, I deal with that too. Or, 
oh, that doesn't seem so bad. It's a, it's a big deal. And I'll, I'll tell you a story about um, a disguised and de-identified client from, from many years ago where uh, someone was started off saying, okay, I got to you know, start off therapy. And from the very first session was saying, well, there's something, there's something I'm not yet ready to talk about, but it's, you know, it's something that's pretty bad for my past. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I wasn't going to push. Uh, but every couple of sessions, you know, we kind of allude to this again, like, okay, there's something, you know, yeah, this is related to that thing that I'm not ready to talk about yet, but I'm, you know, really ashamed of it. And I said, fine, we can just, you know, we can build, build rapport. It's okay. It's, a, it's not a big deal. And finally, six months into the therapy, the, the client was ready to tell me, and this is, you know, client who's, um, in his thirties at the time. Right. And he said, here's the thing. And he's so scared to tell me, but I, I felt, you know, right, right. Hanging there with him. He said, no one ever taught me how to ride a bike. And I was like, wow, that's, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's the way it's been for you. And it made a lot of sense according to his story. Um, but he'd never talked about that before, never shared that with anyone before. And it was something that he just carried around as this big stigma of something that he felt like I am broken, as you were saying, Brooke, I'm broken because of this. Um, and he felt better just saying it, just putting it out there and seeing like, wow, I didn't run away screaming. That's what a lot of people feel. They're afraid of like, if I share this with someone, then you're going to immediately reject me and run away and, and, uh, abandoned me you know but mm -hmm. that, that didn't happen i was just able to hear it i was able to empathize with them and say gosh i'm so sorry that that's that didn't, that never happened for you and you know within a couple of months he learned how to ride a bike and he was he was okay <laughs> but it was like that just didn't and he, he didn't have the uh motivation to do it because he felt like it was so shameful that he was an adult and hadn't learned to ride a bike yet mm -hmm. right yeah, so intriguing, eh? Because it is kind of a pivotal part of uh, someone's childhood and the main mode of transportation. So it probably came up quite a bit. It did. So it was probably, you know, you think that's part of someone's development is you, you learn these these activities, these tasks. Yeah. So it probably created a bit of a theme in his life. Well, even with friendships and stuff, yeah. Defective in some, some kind of way, right? So I can see how that can pick up steam and momentum as time goes on. And suck exactly. other things into his vortex, you know? Sure. And, and, but you also, you think of the peak bike riding years are probably seven to 16, 17 years old and 38. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I mean, if you're, if you're biking, of course, if that's your, if that's your, <laughs> your, your exercise of choice or something like that, but just the idea that, wow, this was something that was so, such a huge burden. Yeah. And then, yeah able to uh able to work through it again de-identified client maybe biking maybe something else who knows but yeah for sure uh, the idea is yeah. that there's something that that uh took on a whole new life for him because it just seems so so big for him yeah for sure okay so going into childhood seems like it can be a good idea but uh not always necessary not for all cases there are some ways to soften the blow of, of talking about childhood if that seems too painful. And shame, something we all deal with, something we've all experienced on some level or another. 
and uh, can usually be helped by by talking about it, by by seeking some guidance and help, and and bringing it into the light, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the catharsis, the writing, Ryan, you have a good one there. Yeah. yeah, writing about it if you don't want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, that could be helpful. Okay, well, guys, that's it. We will revisit next week, but for now, please come and visit us. Uh, like and subscribe the Apple, Google, Podbean, or YouTube. Send us your questions to info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Come to our actual bootcamp website, mentalhealthbootcamp.com. And please tell a friend or two. We've got someone, we've got a listener in Peru now. We want to friend to the rest of South America if we can. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye.